What's up, everybody, and welcome in on back to the Blitz on the Balcony podcast. I am your host, Zach Zook, and it is just me today. TJ is busy. Nick off celebrating the B-Day. So I'm going to recap the NFL draft for you guys, and it was quite a weekend. It was unexpected, as it always is. I thought that the three-day production uh, for being everybody locked inside and uh, social distancing. I thought they did a fantastic job. It was really, uh, you know, uh, a positive thing. I'm glad that they decided to to stay with their initial uh, draft date and still proceed with it. I thought Roger Goodell crushed. He was uh, hilarious. Uh, memes all over of Roger and of everybody with their with their draft setup. I thought the players with their parties with their immediate families was really good. We, there were just some really, really good moments as there is every year with the draft. And I don't think we got robbed of that just because uh, everybody was forced to stay inside. But as is with as is the case with the draft every year, we had a couple of huge storylines. And we're not going to spend very much time talking about day three. Like, day three doesn't really matter. Like, I care about day three, but you, the listener, does not care about fifth-round draft picks. But what the listener does care about, you guys guys care about quarterbacks. You care about first-round picks. We care about the high draft picks. Like, even if I was a GM, I don't think I'd place that much of an emphasis, especially on sixth- and seventh-round picks. Like, who cares? The financial commitment is so shallow and so rarely do those guys become players that are on your radar at all that it's really not worth talking about them. Like if I was a GM, I would trade those sixth and seventh round picks every year to get into the fourth and fifth round. Like you, you can have fourth and fifth rounders that turn out to be studs. Stephon Diggs uh, out of Maryland for the Vikings, now the Bills, fifth round pick. Like you can get fourth and fifth rounders. I feel like you never hear about sixth or seventh rounders. See, it's like fourth or fifth rounders and then the UDFAs. Because they drop and aren't picked for a specific reason, then they end up hitting. But like those sixth and seventh round picks, it's just guys that don't even have high ceilings. They're like, oh, well, he'll play on special teams for us. He give our second or third string safety. You know, like nobody cares about those. So we're gonna spend our time talking about largely the front end of the draft and the storylines that came out of it. And my favorite team, the Green Bay Packers, was at the epicenter of it. And that's where I want to start with the Jordan Love pick and then their overall draft. And following the team like I have throughout, I mean, really my entire life, but especially the last four or five years since I've really started watching and learning about football more closely, and particularly the NFL and how it operates, what's successful and what's not, I see what they're trying to do in their overall draft strategy I think was the most controversial of any of the 32 teams. And it, of course, started with the trade-up from 30 to 26 to get Jordan Love. And if you read the mock draft that I published on BruiseOnTheBalcony.com before night one, you saw that I did not think the Packers were going to sit still. They have not sit still uh, in any pick in the first round since Gutekinds t- took over, except for one. They stayed at 12 and picked Rashawn Gary. Aside from that, they traded back and then up to get Jair Alexander. Then uh, it was the Gary draft. They picked him at 12, but with their second first-round pick, they traded up to get Darnell Savage. And then this year, they trade up to get Jordan Love. I thought idea. I thought that at the end of the day, they were going to end up trading back. And 
I know that there was some smoke to the Packers taking a first-round quarterback, and I didn't buy it one bit. I, I really didn't. I didn't think they'd be in position to draft 1A. I thought Love was probably going to go top 20, and if he wasn't going to go top 20, I felt like he'd go in that early 20s range. The The Raiders were picking around there. I felt like that is kind of the area where if you're going to trade into the first round for a quarterback, there were a couple of teams that ended up trading away their first round pick, namely the Colts and the Steelers that I think uh, were in play to jump up for him. Uh but I didn't think that the Packers would, A, have an opportunity to draft one of the top flight quarterbacks, the first round quarterbacks. B, I didn't think they'd be interested in it because I think that the Packers should be doing the best they can to have a, to win a Lombardi before Aaron Rodgers retires. And I understand the uh, situation that the GM is in. You always have to think big picture as the general manager. So, when Matt LaFleur, who clearly loves Jordan Love, and Gudikins had an opportunity to get up and trade for Love at 26, they couldn't pass it up. And my thing is, you you better be right when you pick a guy that threw 20 touchdowns to 17 picks his, this past fall for Utah State in the Mountain West Conference. Now, there's been the comparison drawn to uh, Dan Marino, who I believe threw 17 touchdowns to 20 picks uh, his last season at Pitt, and obviously we all know how well that pick turned out for the Dolphins. It wasn't really that big of a concern. So you're betting on what you saw with Jordan Love in 2018, and I watched one game from 2018. I watched two games of his from 2019. Typically, I'll try to watch three games. So for every player that I had on my board, I had a top 100. I think in all, I probably watched somewhere between like 130, 140 guys. Uh, I tried to watch three games of theirs. I sewed just on their plays and watched them individually. In the 2018 game I watched of Jordan Love, you see why he's a first-round pick. Because his athleticism and ability to move behind the line of scrimmage and then have the arm strength to go way downfield or fit it into some of these tight windows is Mahomes and Rodgers-esque, I mean, to be completely honest. And his ability to extend plays actually reminds you a little bit of Aaron. But then you watch the 2019 games, and he's making atrocious decision after atrocious decision after atrocious decision. And he has acknowledged that, and I think taken responsibility for it, which the Packers have really praised him for in as one of the reasons why they felt comfortable uh, taking him. They praised his responsibility in the pre-draft process for some of those decisions he made in 2019, but that doesn't absolve you of it. I mean, that's great. Like, yeah, I, I shouldn't have thrown that pick. I expect that. I expect that of you. I, don't throw the pick again. That's my, that's my whole issue, and when you throw 20 interceptions in a season, it's making your mind up where you're going to go with the football before the ball is snapped. It's being reckless uh, in your decision making and not executing the offense and the excuses that were there for him I think are legitimate but again he's not absolved of his play and so the Packers are making a bet here that they can rein in what Jordan Love became in 2019 and refine it to what they hope he will be as a franchise quarterback Jordan Love I had a 6.5 grade on him which uh, how they how they 
scout people in in the NFL, it's like on a eight to two scouting scale, and really like you don't go behind beyond like a five or a four. Uh, but a six point five is a boomer bust, borderline first round pick grade. And that's what I had on him because he is a boomer bust player. I don't see him coming into the league and being like the 12th best quarterback in the league, right? I see you see him either becoming a franchise quarterback and a top 10 talent at the position, or he's going to make terrible decisions and be out of the league within a couple of years of starting. Uh, because he has more tools than Tua Tagovailoa and Joe Burrow. He is on a similar plane as Justin Herbert when it comes to those physical gifts. I'd say he even, he might have a stronger arm than Herbert, and he brings more athleticism to the table than any of those three guys. So he's an intriguing player and an intriguing prospect, and I I had the periscope uh, on draft night where I read my write-up of him, and you see why the Packers took him because he's not an NFL-ready finished product. So I don't really have a huge issue with the Packers making that selection. You think about, and I and I wrote an article a couple days ago uh, that you can read on BruceOnTheBalcony.com, breaking down the Packers draft and more specifically this pick. Aaron Rodgers is older technically now than Favre was when uh, they made the selection for Aaron Rodgers. And revisionist history tends to rewrite a lot of our minds, but Aaron Rodgers was not an NFL-ready quarterback when he was coming out of Cal either. He needed to sit, and that's a big part of the reason he fell into the Packers' lap. And if you remember some of his uh, preseason games and his, his first couple years when Brett was still around, he wasn't the Aaron Rodgers you see today. And so Love will certainly benefit from it. I also see a lot of uh, analysts, pundits, whatever you want to call it, talking about how Rodgers has, you know, they're trying to push Rodgers out, Matt LaFleur is tired of him, blah, blah, blah. And I understand that that's the flashy story, it gets clicks, fine, whatever. But from from a reality standpoint, they're locked into Aaron Rodgers' contract for at least 2020 and 2021. He is untradeable for those two seasons. And I've heard, well, they could move off of him after 2020. That I I got to tell you, I don't think that's going to happen because the dead cap hit is so high and the cap hit for Rodgers is so... He is basically an untradeable player in 2021. Now, your potential out is when his cap number drops down to, I think, around like $17 million in dead cap, but then his salary cap for the team acquiring rises. So his cap hit on the Packers isn't that much right now, but it goes higher as they keep him while the dead cap money decreases as the years on the contract go on. So... The longer he goes into the contract, after that second year, his salary is very, very high. I'd have to get on spot track to pull up the exact number, and I think I put it in the article, but it's like 30 plus million dollars, like close to 40 million dollars in salary. So the acquiring team is going to take a huge cap hit. So realistically, I don't think Rodgers is going to be leaving the Packers until after the 2022 season when it becomes very easy then to just chop off the final year of his deal. And if you think about it, I think ideally the Packers would have liked to wait a year and draft a quarterback. And that's why ultimately I didn't think they'd pull the trigger on one. I didn't think the opportunity would be there, A. But B, 
I, th- I thought this was a year too early for that. Especially coming off a year you went to the NFC Championship. My, men- my mindset going into this from a Packers standpoint was draft as many starters as you can and get the roster in as good a shape as you possibly can make it to make one more run with Rodgers and then to have a very good team surrounding what's going to be a young quarterback that's going to need some help. So what they did in this draft is they took love. They saw the opportunity too too good to pass up. Fine, you take him a year too early. You'd rather do that than a year too late. And while everybody praises the Saints and while everybody praises the Patriots, Patriots are a little different because I feel like Bill could just make just about anything work. I mean, they're going to make Stidham work this year or, or whoever they sign. But for the, for the New Orleans Saints, like they should have taken Jordan Love. They should have taken a guy a year or two ago. Like... The, the fact that they keep signing, like Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston, like I I think that, that while the Packers are probably getting crushed a little bit too much for taking a QB in the first round, the Saints are getting crushed enough for not having a plan, a, a long-term plan after Drew Brees because that front office is responsible for thinking about the big picture. And while it was, I think, a year too early to take a QB, the, the economics of the deal are going to work out just fine. You took a quarterback in the first round, so you have the fifth-year option. He's locked in for five years. Even if Rodgers plays for three more years in Green Bay, it gives you two years of Jordan Love starting before you have to extend him or make a decision. And even then, if you're not sure, you can place the franchise tag on him. And it would be a unique situation in which I don't think you'd get that much blowback from him because he would know I'm only a two-year starter and maybe haven't fully established myself to a $100 million extension like we see these guys getting nowadays. So... And if, and if he doesn't work out, you're only locked into, if you don't pick up the fifth-year option, you're only locked into one year of him starting. Now, now if Rodgers stays for three years, you're going to have to pick up that fifth year because you haven't seen him play. So you can't risk him going off as a rookie, and then you didn't pick up the fifth-year option. So now you have to extend him to a mega deal right away after one year of production. So you're probably going to have to pick up the fifth-year option regardless but the money's not going to be that bad, and you're not locked into five years of Jordan Love as your starting QB like the Bears were when they took Mitchell Trubisky. They would love to get out from under him, but they can't, and, and they're going to try. They're almost through it to where they ha- they can basically bench him for fools and then be be rid of him. They have, I think, till May 30th to make a decision on his fifth-year option or not because he just completed his third year in the league, and I got to tell you, I'm sh- I'll be shocked if they pick that up. That's a kind of a side story, and I digress. But the the economics of the of the Packers' decision behind taking a quarterback, I don't think, are bad. And the difference in money between the number one overall pick and the twenty sixth pick are astronomical. I think Jordan Love's cap number is like a third of what it would have been if they had taken him where Justin Herbert was going. So you think about the money you're going to be paying a quarterback even on his rookie deal because you just assume that you have to take a quarterback so high. Like this, the situation that the Cowboys are in with Dak Prescott where they're paying him like half a million dollars on a four-year deal because they took him in the fourth round, that's basically unheard of. It is... It is a luxury that very few team NFL teams are afforded. Uh, you look around the NFL, and basically every single starter in the league is a first-round pick, save for a couple guys like Dak Prescott. 
So you're paying that quarterback, even on his rookie deal, a decent amount of money. So the fact that the that the Packers were able to take their guy at 26 rather than taking a guy next year and being forced to maybe trade a player, acquire one, then trade up into the top 10, and you're having to give up all this capital to acquire, and then once you do acquire, you're having to pay him a, a pretty penny to still sit for two, two three years. Uh, they get Jordan Love still for an expensive... Uh, price because those first rounders are not cheap. It's a more significant financial investment, but it's far less when you talk about the scope of top 10 and top five picks, which is where quarterbacks are typically selected. So the rest of the Packers draft, I think is a lot less defensible. Uh, You get AJ Dillon in the second, which a lot of people had as a day three pick. And the most indefensible pick of all is the Josiah DeGuara pick in the third round. I mean, we'll see. He played half of his snaps in the slot, about half at tight end, a little at fullback, and like 10% at wideout. So he can do some things, but you ha- you just spent a third-round pick on Jay Sternberger, who hasn't gotten the opportunity to play, because you decided to, st- to decided to sign stone for hands Jimmy Graham, who he being off the roster is addition by subtraction anyways, because there's no way Sternberger's as bad as him. But you already have a tight end on a rookie deal that's going into his first year of starting on the team. I don't understand why you select a third round pick on a guy I've never heard of, didn't study. Most people had him as a day three pick, fifth, sixth round. You took him in the third round when you don't have a fourth round pick after you selected a backup running back and a backup quarterback with your first two. You didn't think maybe I should try and get somebody that's going to contribute to the team in 2020. And, and I understand that they, they said that they're going to use him in sort of a Kyle Juszczyk role and move him around. But the fact of the matter is, and Mike Renner, uh, who was on The Bachelor, P- big PFF guy, he's a Packers fan too. He said, it, it, regardless of how good DeGuar ends up being, you if you take an H-back or you want to use him as a fullback backfield role, those guys at best are playing two-thirds of the snaps and they're not playing the high leverage ones that decide the outcome of football games in the red zone and on third down. So that pick was completely indefensible to me. The A.J. Dillon uh, pick, while I understand it, like, again, I think you could have got him a little later. And if you don't get him, like, are you really that mad about it? Like, why not take a more a more premium commodity. You already have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And while you're not going to extend both of them, uh, you're going to have them both on the roster this year. They're probably going to let Williams walk, extend Jones. So I understand what they're trying to go for here. Dylan, the thunder Jones, the lightning and have a combo. Dylan plays great for the outside zone scheme. LaFleur wants to run. And it's ultimately a transition draft. That's, I think the message that's being sent here. But I didn't agree with their day two picks really at all. But the day one pick, I can understand. So let's finally move on from the Packers. They were by far the biggest story of the weekend. But if you had to pick a second one, and I think that this has been largely overblown, but the Jalen Hurts pick in round two for the Eagles has caught the the city of brotherly love some heat, uh, largely from its fan base. I think a lot of the, you know... Uh, the media and the in former scouts and executives understand the move. And for Jalen, I wish he would have ended up in a better situation where he's probably going to get a better opportunity to play or be the starter or the face of the franchise. Uh, he's not going to get that in Philly. 
But you think of Carson Wentz's availability over the past couple years, and nobody questions his talent. Nobody's a bigger Carson Wentz fan than I am. At North Dakota State, I thought he was the best quarterback in that class. I think he's proven me right, and he is so fun to watch. And he is truly a rare, rare talent at the quarterback position with his size, his arm strength, just his ability to play the position is 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 truly, truly fascinating. But the fact remains, he's starting to stack up a long string of injuries here uh, as a young player. So, I, and I heard a stat the other day, he's thrown like six passes in the playoffs and the Eagles have gone to the postseason in each of the last three seasons. They had to use Foles in in all of their postseason games the past two years, and then he gets hurt in their playoff game against the Seahawks in like the first quarter of this of this year. And so it's certainly fair to to question his availability and invest in the asset. Now, the the quarterback picks they hold value. So the Patriots selected a quarterback in the second round a while back. They were kind of in the same situation as the Packers are in now with. Being in limbo with our starter, how long is he going to play for? How long are we going to have him on the team for? We need to have an answer for if and when his time is up. And that answer for them was Jimmy Garoppolo. And now Tom unprecedentedly has continued to play well into his 40s, and they were forced to trade Jimmy. But what they were able to do, they selected Jimmy for a second-round pick. They flipped him for a second-round pick. So those quarterbacks hold value on your roster. So even if Jalen Hurts does well in the preseason, if Carson gets hurt, he comes in and uh, proves that he can be a good player in the NFL, they're going to be able to turn him around and flip him for that same value or potentially even a first-round pick because of how important the quarterback position is and because of the value that those players at that position hold. And so for the Eagles to just rip apart uh, Howie Roseman in the front office for taking Hurts, it's ridiculous. Now, I don't think Hurts is really a good passer. Uh, that's the that's the issue I have with him. Let me see where I had him in my rankings. I had him as the seventh best quarterback in the draft behind Fromm and Eason and then the four... Uh, first round guys um and overall I had him as the 99th best player barely in the top 100 so from a talent perspective I understand it's a little head scratching like is, is he even going to be a good quarterback in the NFL are they going to try to Taysom Hill him and do some interesting things in terms of packages for him or use him as, as an H-back like what, what's the plan here uh so I can I think it's fair to question that, but I think at the end of the day, like they've proven that they can get the most out of their quarterbacks, and they've proven that they can recognize that talent and flip it. They got the best out of Nick Foles, flipped him to the Jags, who used him for half of not even half of one season, and then he couldn't get the job back from Gardner Minshew. Now he's on the Bears. So uh, the only success he's had was with the Eagles organization. The Eagles nailed Carson Wentz. They nailed that pick. So. What what have, what have they done to giving you mistrust in terms of, like, clearly they believe in Jalen Hurts, so why shouldn't you? I don't think it's fair to crush the Eagles for making that pick in the second round, and I think that it was compounded anger by the fan base. They passed on Justin Jefferson for Jalen Rager, who has some drop issues, but I, I really like Jalen Rager. I think he's a really good player, and 
Yeah, I mean, apples to apples. Maybe Justin Jefferson ends up being a, being better than Rager, but nobody knows. They're graded pretty closely. Let me see what I had on him. I had Jefferson ahead of Rager, and I did have them right next to each other. And I, in fact, gave them, I gave Jefferson a 6'7", and I gave Rager a 6'6". So, like, they're, they're so close to, again, the outrage over that is so ridiculous. Like, you have no idea how those players are going to pan out. Like, you have no idea if, if Je- Justin Jefferson's going to have a, a better career than Rager. And Jefferson, by the way, I got news for you, he's going to play largely in the slot. That's when he had success at LSU because when he was outside in 2018, the offense wasn't nearly as good. It was only when they moved him to the slot that they started having a lot of success. So the Eagles probably didn't see the value there. Why am I going to take a slot guy when I don't even have a number one? Rager projects more as an outside number one receiver than does Jefferson because of his ability to stretch the field, even if he is only 5'11". Uh, so I, I, I don't understand the, the outrage at, at multiple teams that kind of got crushed. I understand the outrage of the Packers overall draft, but the, but to crush the love pick, like, didn't we just do this like 10 years ago with Aaron Rodgers? Everybody crushed them when they took Aaron Rodgers. He's going to be a hall of famer and a top five quarterback in the history of mankind. Like we just did this. Like, do you not understand that, that there's obviously a long-term plan and the Packers have proven that that can work for them. Just like the Eagles, they've proven that they can develop quarterback talent and get the most out of their players at that position. So why don't, may, maybe they have somewhat of an idea of what they're doing. Like, let's just wait a little bit. I know we're in the outrage culture, but like, let's just wait a little bit and see if these guys are good. Because as much as I don't like the Dylan pick and I do think the DeGuara pick's indefensible, if Dylan ends up being good, and you end up letting Jamal Williams go, like, it, nobody's going to question it. Because it's not like they spent a first-round pick on a, on a running back that wasn't projected to go in the first round. I mean, if, if A.J. Dillon ends up being a good player, you look back at that and you go, oh, second-round pick for a good running back. That's fine. Because as much as, yeah, Aaron Jones broke out, still a fifth-round talent. Still a guy that is limited. And still a guy that when you watched him, for as much success as he had in the LaFleur offense, has left a little bit to be desired through the first three years of his career. That's why they're using Jamal Williams to close out games a lot of times. I mean, they, they wouldn't be doing that <laughs> if he was that, that good. And I'm not taking anything away from Aaron Jones. He's a really good football player, and he's outplayed his draft status. But I think we just need to slow down on, on crushing all of, all of these drafts. So I want to shift from that to teams that I thought really knocked it out of the park. We've talked about kind of the main storylines, and I want to shift to to some teams that I thought did a really nice job. And first up, I thought the Broncos had the best draft of anybody uh, in the league uh, this, this past weekend. They get Jerry Judy to fall right into their lap at 15, a player they surely didn't think would be available to them, ends up slipping into them all the way at 15. And when you think about it from a fit perspective, they already have the big-bodied number one receiver in Cortland Sutton that can play your possession uh, a game and go over the top. He can run all the routes, right? So you take your route runner to line up on the other side of him, and that's Jerry Judy. And some people think that he could project as more of a slot guy as his career goes on. I think he'd have a lot of success there, but he has the talent to play outside. And when you combine him on the other side of Sutton or put him in the slot when you go twins, uh, I think that the, the fit 
and the skill sets complement each other in such a way that it really gives the the Broncos some diverse weaponry uh, out on the edge. And then they went back and doubled that up by picking K.J. Hamler out of Penn State at 46. Now, I had Hamler as my 29th best player. And the reason he fell out of the first round was largely his size, durability concerns, and he had a little bit of a drop issue at Penn State. But he has elite, top-tier speed and will be a a very good slot receiver at the next level, assuming he can stay healthy and hang on to the ball. The drop issue isn't that crazy. He had some trouble with it, but it's not like he's Nelson Aguilar out there, right? Like, he can catch the football. And... I, I distinctly remember watching him play Michigan and just carving them up. They just didn't have an answer for him. And that was the case for a lot of the defenses that Penn State played. They just didn't have a player on the field that could cover Hamler. So you add a guy like that that also has return value. He's going to be their kick and punt returner. Uh, you put him in the slot between Judy and between Cortland Sutton. And you add him to the to the first round tight end you took last year. And Noah Fant, that's extremely athletic. And you have one of the best passing arsenals in the NFL instantaneously. Now, the the trouble here, what's a little worrisome is they're all really young guys. So can you really expect Judy and Hamler and Noah Fant going into his second year, Cortland Sutton, I believe, going into his third year? Uh, Cortland Sutton, you can expect more out of. Fant, you can probably expect more out of. But two, two of those guys are rookies. So I don't think you can necessarily expect for them to tear up the league right away. So what do you do when uh, while you're getting them up to speed and getting them integrated to the NFL? I think there could be some growing pains, and you also have a second-year quarterback that has, I think, fewer than 10 games started under his belt. So these guys are all very young, and they're going to experience some growing pains and some and some some building issues while they get things sorted out and they get comfortable with each other. But once they do, it, it, it is going to be one of the more talented, talented offenses in the NFL, if Drew Locke can distribute the ball to those players. They came back and got Lloyd Cushenberry, too, at pick 83 in the draft. Uh, center at LSU, I had him as my 52nd best player. Broncos got him at 83. They also got uh, the Natain Mudi guy from uh, Fresno State, another interior offensive lineman. Uh, people were really high on him. My colleagues at PFF love Mudi. Uh he was my 63rd best player. The Broncos got him at pick 181. They got Albert Okawabenum uh, out of Missouri to combine with Drew Locke again. They had a ton of success uh, tearing up SEC defenses together in college. They'll be reunited in the pros. What a great luxury to have Noah Fant and then also Albert Okawabenum, who could have came out and been in the same draft class as Fant, but decided to go back anyways. They got him at 118. He was my 77th best player. They just did an ex- exceptional job at drafting value and weapons at position of need. They also got Michael Ojemudia, corner out of Iowa. Great fit for them. Uh, they got him with the 77th overall pick. They just did a fantastic job of improving the roster. And you get a little worried like when you have a defensive-minded head coach like Vic Fangio is for Denver, that they're just going to continue spending resources on defense and never really address the offense and therefore never really have a very good offense. But I think the fact that you have a a Hall of Fame quarterback calling the shots as the GM and and the president of football operations in John Elway helps kind of even that out. And if they can work together, as they've proven they've been able to do, 
you have a very good balanced approach to how you're going to acquire players in free agency in the draft. And I, I was a little hesitant. I didn't know if the Broncos were going to spend draft capital on offense, but they did. And they did it in a huge way, and they did it in a very effective way. So I thought they did a really, really nice job. And you know what? who Sneaky had a good draft was the Cleveland Browns. But the thing with the Browns is they have talent has never really been the the Browns issue. Uh, The quarterback position has, sure, but it's been more the dysfunction in the franchise and then, of course, the inability to draft a quarterback. But a big part of the reason the quarterback fails is because of the dysfunction. Like, the talent has never really been the issue. Even when Johnny Manziel was there and Mike Pettin was the head coach, they went 8-8. With all that dysfunction, they had talent on the team. And so I think they did another great job to acquire a ton of talent. They got Jedrick Wills, who was considered by many to be the top offensive tackle. I thought he was the second best, but apples to apples. They get him at 10 overall after a couple other tackle needy teams passed on him. So he dropped right into their lap. I thought the Giants were going to take him at fourth overall, and they didn't. And so they got an opportunity to take him at 10. Then they came back and got Grant Delpit at 44. Uh, Tackling issues, sure, but he's a really talented player. He was projected as like a top 10 pick a year or two ago uh, because of just his talent. He started a longtime starter on LSU. He's going to be a great free cover safety in the NFL. 25th best player for me. Browns got him at 44. Then they came back and got the tight end Harrison Bryant at uh, pick 115. I had him rated 59. He won the... uh, what, what do they call that uh, the award, the the John Mackey Award for the best tight end in college football? Uh, Hawkinson, TJ Hawkinson won that last year. Harrison Bryant was the recipient of it this year. Uh, they get him at 115 to combine with uh, David Njoku and Austin Hooper. He's going to be the third string tight end, and he was a great value pick. They're also able to get Jordan Elliott, a uh, defensive interior guy out of Mizzou, another good value pick right there. And they just were able to stack starters, and that's so important for a team like the Browns that's trying to build something. And I thought they did a really nice job of drafting players that are going to compete on their team uh, from the start. And no team did that better than did the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings get Justin Jefferson at 22. And and they're another team with Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. I didn't think they were going to go offense in the first round. I thought for the combination of the, the big wide receivers are going to be gone, the top three, and they were, I thought they'd go defense defense because they have a ton of holes as they're trying to completely remake a defense that a year ago had Xavier Rhodes on the roster it had Everson Griffin on the roster I think they franchise tagged Anthony Harris so they're still going to have him but they lost Trey Waynes at the corner position I think they they lost Mackenzie Alexander they lost three corners they lost a valuable, valuable edge rusher. They lost defensive tackle. I think they lost Linval Joseph, too. Uh, they lost a ton defensively. So with Zimmer's emphasis on defense, I really thought they'd go defense twice in the first round. But kudos to them drafting Justin Jefferson, who I think is an excellent fit. He's going to work the middle of the field as the slot guy, be the security blanket for Kirk Cousins underneath. And I think that he catches more balls his rookie season than Stephon Diggs did uh, this past fall. That's kind of like my hot take of their draft. I think Justin Jefferson will have a better rookie year than Stephon Diggs did in terms of receptions, at least, uh, in his rookie year this fall, assuming we get a full... uh, 
football season. Knock on wood there. But then they, with their next pick, then they addressed the defense and they traded out, but then traded back up to 31 to get Jeff Gladney. Just a great job of playing the value. You didn't think the value was there at 25, so you traded it away to the 49ers, knowing that they wanted to get a wide receiver ahead of some of these teams at the back end of the first round. The Dolphins were picking 26. They could have done it. The Packers were picking at 30. They could have done it. So they did a nice job, the 49ers, to trade up. The Vikings were able to take advantage of that need for the 49ers, drop back and still get the guy they wanted at 31, Jeff Gladney, who is like a, I think I, I comped him to Jair Alexander, but he plays a lot like Xavier Rhodes in terms of his physicality. They're very far apart in terms of size, right? But in terms of style, he's kind of like a mini Xavier Rhodes. So you can see why uh, Mike Zimmer is going to love him. And then later on in the draft, they just did a great job of, again, just stacking starters. They got Troy Dye. They got Ezra Cleveland to play tackle. They got Cam Dantzler, who ran a terrible 40 at the combine. And if that's his true play speed, he's just going to be limited in the NFL. Like, you can't have him press a receiver because he's just not fast enough. Like He's going to have to play off the ball zone coverage. But again, you needed to replace three corners, and you're able to get a guy that... His film looked great. It was just the the numbers that uh, kind of scared you with him. They get Wanham, the kid from South Carolina. They get James Lynch, uh, superstar at Baylor, played edge for them. He's going to move to D-tackle, so there's seemingly your replacement for uh, Linval Joseph. And then you got a third corner with Harrison Hand. So while you, you never want to draft for need, I think in the Vikings' case— they were able to draft for need, but they also didn't overdraft the value of a lot of these players. So we could see as it goes on, like their their later round picks weren't as impressive to me, but their early, their money picks on day one and day two, I thought were really good. Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney were two players I was really high on uh, that I think will be day one starters and impact players on uh, that Vikings team. So that'll wrap it up, I think, for the pod. I uh, don't want to waste too much time, again, just going through the uh, the nuances of the NFL draft, but I thought I'd hit on some of the bigger storylines in uh, the, the first round and then hit on some guys that I thought did a good job. Some, some other drafts that were puzzling just before we get on out of here, especially in the first round, like the Atlanta Falcons took A.J. Terrell, corner out of Clemson. They took him 16th overall. Like, like, I don't think the value is there. I think that's that's a good case of reaching for need. And the biggest head-scratcher pick uh, of the entire first round was, without a doubt, the Las Vegas Raiders at 19 taking Damon Arnett. I mean, they've they've shown uh, under Gruden to be wild cards, like the Cleveland Furl pick at number four last year. Like, Damon Arnett at, at 19 this year was a little crazy. Like, I... Let, let, me, let me go see here where I had I, I I didn't I didn't rate him I did not rate him I, I looked at 17 corners he was not uh, any better than any one of them so like I don't understand uh, uh, the the value I think that's a terrible pick uh, but we'll see uh, again if he turns out to be a good player then then uh, it doesn't really matter but uh, Damon Arnett at 19 was a huge reach nobody expected him to go in the first round Uh the Los Angeles Chargers trading up for Kenneth Murray was a bit of a shock, and not a ton of people expected Cesar Ruiz from Michigan to go. I had him in my first round. Uh, a lot of people were shocked that the Saints took him at 24 overall, but I, I, got, I mean, he was the best interior offensive lineman in the draft. 
and none of them really were, I think, first round grades. I had Ruiz the highest out of all of them. That said, I probably wouldn't have selected any of them in the first round, but since Ruiz was clearly the best interior offensive lineman in the draft, it felt obvious that he was going to go on night one because if, you, if you're looking at it, you know, a team drafting in the 20s or, the, or at 30, 31, 32, you're saying, well, would I rather have the sixth or seventh best cornerback or would I rather take the best interior offensive lineman that the draft has to offer this year? So I, I, I expected him to go in the first round. The Saints kind of got a lot of crap for it, but he's, he's a good player. Uh, huge value pick. I, I forgot to touch on the Ravens. What a draft they had. What a draft they had. They get Patrick Queen at 28. Why don't Before we sign off, I, I got to see. Let's go over their picks. The Ravens knocked this draft out of the park. They basically took every player that I wanted the Packers to take. So let's see here. Uh, I got to go back. Technology. So they take Queen at 28. Then they come back with J.K. Dobbins at 55. I had him as my 24th best player. I had uh, Patrick Queen as my 17th best player. They got great value on both of those picks. Patrick Queen, I think, is the best true linebacker in the draft. Uh, then they come back and they get Ben Bredesen from Michigan. He was regarded, and you know I watch every snap of Michigan too. That's my college team. Bredesen was regarded as the best lineman at Michigan for a really long time. And then Ruiz kind of jumped him this past season just as a pro prospect. But Bredesen is a guy that's he's going to have success at the next level. They took a guy out of SMU too at pick 201. He was my 69th best player, James Prochet, wide receiver out of SMU, makes circus catches all day long, had some medical concerns, but if he's healthy, what, what a pick by the Ravens. They also get Justin Matabuke, the defensive tackle from Texas A&M. They got Devin Duvernay, the speedster out of Texas at pick 92. They took Malik Harrison to stack with Patrick Queen at pick 98. Like They just did a great job of getting exceptional value, sticking to their board, and making their team a ton better. I mean, they, they came out of that draft so much better than they went into it. I mean, you come out of that draft with two bona fide studs at linebacker and queen, and then we'll see what Harrison turns out to be. But one of those two guys is bound to hit. Then you get another wide receiver in Prochet. You get a defensive interior guy. You get you get J.K. Dobbins, who was a top three back in this draft, and a guy that all he did was produce and score touchdowns at Ohio State. You get him to bring into the backfield. To, it, it, like, How many yards are they going to rush for next year? Between Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, like, all due respect to the Ravens running back core before Dobbins, but like, Mark Ingram wasn't good enough for the Saints to re-sign him, even though he had a ton of success when they drafted Kamara. And... But aside from Ingram, it was like a bunch of no-namers running the ball, like Gus Edwards. Uh, like, you know, they had the Tate guy for a while. Like, they, they don't have a ton of talent at the running back position. So now that they get J.K. Dobbins, like, for the value they got him at, I mean, look out for the Ravens next year. They're going to be such a threat running the football even more than they were uh, this past season. But uh, that's going to wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for listening to our draft recap. We'll talk a little bit more about the draft and more some quotes. Uh, there's some, been some interesting things said and some interesting media fallout. We're going to keep the keep the train rolling for now. We'll take a break eventually, but I think there's still a lot, a lot of content out there uh, in, in the NFL to cover. But thank you so much for making us a part of your day, and we will see you next week.